Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast, the sort of pre-pregame show for Edmonton versus Winnipeg Thursday night. We've got Derek Taylor, the voice of the Bombers. We've got Morley Scott, the voice of the Elks. What more do you want coming up on the podcast? Previewing of tomorrow's contest between the Bombers and Elks with the voice of the Bombers, Derek Taylor. And uh, Derek, the Elks home losing streak at 21 games. How confident are you that it'll reach 22 tomorrow? 93% 93% confidence. Um, there's still the dust and crumb factor that we lived through that could exist in Trey Ford, but uh, 93%, 94% confident, I think, is, is probably the way to go. Edmonton's not very good. Uh, we know that. But last time these two teams played, they gave Winnipeg trouble. Do you think the bye week and coming off this incredible performance at BC just kind of buoys Winnipeg into a better performance tomorrow? I I wonder how much that stuff goes over over time. If you put fifty on BC, conceivably you should put what seventy five on Edmonton. But it just it just never kind of works that way. Maybe sixty is a more more reasonable one. But like that, like you mentioned that game from week seven. That was six six at halftime. That was an absolute puzzler. Why is this game six six? Okay, Sergio missed a field goal. So, but why? If it had been nine six, I would have been wondering why at halftime it's only nine to six. Edmonton, I mean, for for all the things that Edmonton can't do, Chris Jones could put together a defense, right, uh, and can get these weapons and can get AC Leonard free rushes uh, against an offensive line. So, and I mean, they're they're getting healthier. So it's 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 always a puzzler. It's it's never going to go the way that we I think it should. Even though, I mean, BC a much superior team, and the Bombers just hung a hung a, hung one on them last week. I just I feel like this one's going to be the line is what twelve and a half right now. I, I feel like it's going to be potentially even tighter than that, just because football is a weird game. Well, even last year, right? They went into Edmonton and, and really struggled in that game. It was kind of a, a gross game that the defense really helped win for Winnipeg, uh, getting some turnovers in the second half. But there's no more Taylor Cornelius to rely on to give you the ball if you're the Winnipeg defense. You've got Trey Ford now, who doesn't have a lot of tape. We saw him a bit last year. He got hurt a couple times. Never saw him against Winnipeg in the regular season. Obviously a better runner than Taylor Cornelius, but we really don't really know much about him as a passer at this point in his young career. No, 69 pass attempts and... It, you would just expect, you know, it's going to be, okay, one read and then I'm out of here is is kind of what I think you probably go into the game expecting. Maybe he's developed a little more than that. We will get a chance to see uh, that. But there's always the, the chance that they can end up going to Jared Deggy as well, right? Deggy started the game for Edmonton this season, and it wasn't a great game, as a lot of Elks games have not been great games. But if, if it's just not working for Ford, they do still have options before they get back to uh, – to Cornelius, it's it's tough. I would love for Ford to be great because I'd love for another Canadian quarterback uh, to be great in this league. Uh, but, man, here you go. Uh, we're just going to throw you to the Wolves in week number one because Willie Jefferson and Jackson Jeffcoat were absolute man-eaters last week against BC. So, uh, Trey, let's uh, sink or swim, shall we? We heard yesterday Willie Jefferson talk about how he actually enjoys a guy that can make him put it into fifth gear to try to track him down. And Tree Ford's obviously quite the athlete. But this Blue Bomber defensive front, with it, all of its weapons intact, have been just a different beast. Uh, with Jackson Jeffcoat coming back after a couple of games, they've looked incredible. They were, they were awesome against BC. And it's not like Edmonton's O-line has played super great. So 
this seems like asking a lot of Trey Ford tomorrow if you're Chris Jones. Well, and it was I, it was one of the times their last game, Edmonton's last game against BC, was one of the times I really felt for Taylor Cornelius. Right, you, you and I have talked about it. I don't I don't think he, he offers enough to be a, a starting quarterback, but there was just instant pressure from the BC Lions in that game. It was no no quarterback could have managed that. If if that's not any better, if you know. Thomas Jack Cordilla at right guard and Brett Boyko at right tackle and Martez Ivy at left tackle and the gang are not able to, you know, provide even token resistance. It's just going to be instantly running for his life, right? It, nothing. We, we saw it in the, in the bombers last week, right? Uh, and in versus week number three, if the quarterback, even one of the greatest Kalaris does not have time, nothing good is going to happen. Last week, Kalaris had had a lot more time and 50 points happen and six touchdowns on offense happened, right? So they, they really, whatever the, the change from uh, of offensive coordinators to Jerry's Jackson, his first priority to me has to be, how do we give the quarterback even a lick of time? Because we have tremendous receivers in Edmonton. The quarterback just needs more than 1,001 before he's put on his butt. Manny Arsenault coming back into the lineup tomorrow night. Ed Ganey as well back on defense how much does that help the Elks the Elks were super young at defensive back against uh, the Bombers the last time out so so Ganey back he's been that boundary corner he's played a lot of halfback um, I haven't uh, looked at depth chart too close to see where they'll slot him but they could use a veteran presence in that defensive backfield for sure Manny Arsenault is re- a reliable underneath weapon they if they would like to use an underneath weapon instead of you know keep trying to let the quarterback fend for himself and then allow a guy like say Steven Dunbar to do more down the field. Dunbar can, can make those contested catches. He can run the deeper routes. Dylan Mitchell, we, the Bombers fans know well, he can run the deeper routes as well. Manny can clean up and, and can make sure guys are in the right spot. So uh, to me, that's, that's a big deal. How they'll get him in, whether, uh, you know, who they'll get him in for and who he'll steal reps from will be another, another thing. But yeah, I, I like the, the re-addition of Manny Arsenault in, in just he can he can let other guys do some stuff while he takes care of the dirtier work. And I'm curious as well, just if there's any pressure on Edmonton at this point or at, at winless through this point of the season, Trey Ford can just go in and do whatever, right? I would I would hope so. You would hope that you're going, okay, Trey's our guy for the next defined period of time whatever that is if it's two games if it's four games let's see what this is and let's see what we've got we've got Ford under contract for one more year we would have Jared Daigie under contract for two more years and we believe we know what Taylor Cornelius is so why don't we give Trey blank number of games and barring an injury he'll just be our leader for the next four games so they I think I think you're right they just have to let it let it happen. And, uh, you know, you're, you're also investigating what is Jarius Jackson as an offensive coordinator with this team. It'll be his first crack at calling plays. I'm sure he's been around all year, but now he's the man and he's got his own ideas and his own experience at the CFL level of, of what to do with, with all these weapons. Because, I mean, 0-8, Everton is not stocked like an 0-8 team. They're, they have real talented players and they have, you know, all-star level players on this team. Just they have to be unleashed at some point. 
All right, let's take a, a look at some of the other stuff going around the league tomorrow. Uh, the Bombers open up week 10 Friday. The Riders go to Montreal. Cody Fajardo against his former team. The news today out of Regina that Darrell Walker has been released. He's been hurt really since the start of the season. Just a case of a guy making too much money and just hasn't been able to get on the field. Yeah, and he was about to come off six-game injured list, so they kind of had to make a decision. Had they gone one more week, uh, Walker, as a veteran, his contract would have been guaranteed for the rest of the season. So this was Saskatchewan's last chance to essentially get out of his contract. And when you look at what they have, um, I was not a fan of their receiving core and their free agent moves in the receiving core in the off season, but you look at how Tevin Jones has emerged. And now Sean Bain is a, is a first team receiver after being a backup in, in Calgary. You go, Ooh, this, these two guys are really flying in this offense. Samuel Emelis, their draft pick from a couple of years ago, three touchdowns in the game against Winnipeg. Key and Schaefer Baker's on his way back. Braden Lenius was back, but he's back on six games. They've, they have, you know, they've really brought some weapons out to the point where, I don't know that that you need Darrell Walker, uh, and you probably don't want to get in the way of these younger guys developing. So it's your it's your last chance to get out from his contract, and you you have you know two of the top what is it five receivers in the league in yardage. I, I think I wish I, I wish I'd you know taken a look and seen this move coming because it, it makes a ton of sense. That game, who's it bigger for, the Riders or the Alouettes? Yeah, I, I feel like perhaps more so for Montreal because I think the top two spots in the West, I think we've already defined them, right? Barring catastrophic injuries for the Bombers or Lions. We, we kind of know who's one and two or who's going to occupy those top two spots, maybe not the exact order, but those two spots. So the Riders would be, you know, battling for, for third. The, the Alouettes, you know, uh, second place is a home playoff game. And if you can, you know, you win a game, you put some space between yourselves and, and the Ticats and Red Blacks, you feel like you're a better team than both of those by a, a fairly significant margin, even if the record doesn't 100% agree. I feel like it's it's more so for Montreal. And then there's the Fajardo element, right? Of like, oh, yeah, you don't think I'm very good? Oh, yeah, well, my team just uh, just beat your team. So, uh, yeah, and then we're going to the playoffs. So maybe maybe you can cross over and come to our house again for the playoffs. I So I if I have to pick one, I, I think – Montreal, just because there's there's more up for grabs, and uh, I don't know, maybe maybe Toronto's six and zero run, it's you know officially over to start the season, but maybe they're not you know a six and zero team that's as dominant as we thought they were. That team that handed Toronto that first loss, Calgary going to BC three and five at six and two. Vernon Adams is going to be back for BC. I assume BC wins that game, but if Calgary does, and all of a sudden we've got something going there. Yeah, absolutely, because that brings one of the top two back to the pack, right? I'm curious to see Vernon because he was he was warming up last week when Dane Evans got hurt, and I don't know if I ever thought it was even remotely possible that he'd end up going into that game, but now well enough to be back. And, I mean, what is what is Vernon? Is, has the, is the league going to figure something out, or is Vernon plus Jordan McSimmick in this offense, is this the real deal? And apart from that six-interception game, is that how the rest of the season is going to go for them? Calgary's apparently figuring some stuff out. The the little teeny tiny short pass from Jake Mayer was enough to propel, and obviously Chad Kelly's injury enough to propel them to a win over uh, the uh, the Argos last week. So yeah, is, is Calgary figuring some stuff out? Or I mean, it seemed crazy to talk about. Ooh, could they be two and eight? 
because they're in a rough stretch of games, but maybe they've, maybe this is their, this is last week was their inflection point and the whole season changes upon that. It's I'm curious to see that one as well. And then rounding out the week, you've got Ottawa at Toronto, Ottawa, every game is close with them. They might suck for three quarters and then all of a sudden, Dustin Crumb's running for the goal line with no time left to try and win the game. We've seen that a few times already this year. Toronto at 6-1. and one. Sounds like Chad Kelly's going to be fine. And that would mean Toronto should definitely win this game, right? I would think so, but I thought the Bombers should definitely win that game too. I, I think... I think the league knows a ton more about uh, about Crum and how to contain that offense. But Ottawa, I mean, I guess technically is in last place in the East, but they have a minus eight point difference. That's not terrible. Uh, uh, Hamilton is something like minus sixty four. That's that's a bad team. You go, well, Ottawa might be you know contender for for number two if they, if they you know put a win together and things go their way. Toronto, I am, I'm curious to see if they'll get Jamal Peters back after he missed last week's game. And, uh, you know, they're, they're feeling pretty good. They're getting guys back from injury. They, they seem like they're pretty good. I just I, – I don't know if I can explain why they were struggling early in that game even before Chad Kelly went out against the, the Stampeders. So um, maybe the first little crack in, in their armor was that game. But, uh, yeah, Ottawa – Ottawa's not a bad team, you know, if uh, – if maybe they go for a touchdown instead of kicking an eight-yard field uh-huh. goal, maybe things are different, right? So, it's yeah, it's it should be a, a comfortable Toronto win, but 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 you never know. You never know in the Canadian Football League game being played in Toronto uh, this weekend. Derek, appreciate your time as always. Thanks for this, and I guess I'll talk to you on the pregame show tomorrow night. Yes, uh, five o'clock. Uh, no, 6 o'clock, 5 o'clock here in Edmonton, 6 o'clock. And Christian Amell joining us for the whole thing. This will be good. Yes, Doug Brown is uh, unavailable, so they're calling me out of the bullpen, and uh, I'll be glad to help. Anyway, we continue our pregame show, pre-pregame show, I guess I should say. This is our pre-pregame show. A lot of Blue Bomber Elk stuff. Looking ahead to tomorrow night's kickoff between the Elks and the Blue Bombers in Edmonton and now joined by the voice of the Elks, Morley Scott. Morley, we've been asking this for years. Is tomorrow finally the night the Elks end their long home losing streak? Uh, you've been asking it for years. I've been answering it for years, Christian. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I expected it to end a lot, uh, a lot sooner than it has. It's still going 21 games straight now since the Elks won at home, uh, going back to 2019. Uh, it's uh, it's anybody's guess. Uh, the odds are certainly against them tonight, playing the Blue Bombers, who are tied for first place and, and playing some pretty good football right now, if you judge by what they did to the BC Lions last week. So the one difference this time around, uh, compared to the other matchups that the Bombers have had with the Elks the last few years, Trey Ford starting, finally getting the, the opportunity. Why now? Why not earlier this year? I think it comes along with the change at the offensive coordinator position with Jarius Jackson coming in. I think making the change at the same time in both those spots, uh, it makes sense. Also making that change uh, with a bye week so everybody can be as prepared as possible to, to do what they have to do to get better. I think that makes sense as well. So um, to me, that's the reason why they waited. Uh, and, you know, they like a lot of people there, the Elks, I think coaching staff enamored with the, with the tools that uh, – Taylor Cornelius has, but uh, you know his great arm and his running ability uh, just was not getting it done. And obviously, they needed to make a change. It was pretty evident, I think, going into into the bye week that something was going to happen with this team, and uh, they made the decision to 
to switch at OC and to switch at quarterback, and they're going to add some veterans back in the lineup as well this week, which will help them. Like who? Like Ed Ganey, uh, who uh, comes back, uh, 11-year veteran in the defensive backfield. Uh, he uh, will uh, step in at the halfback position. Uh, he hasn't played since week two when he got injured uh, in Vancouver. So uh, that's a veteran presence added to the defense. Uh, for the last, uh, well, since he was injured, uh, the Elks had gone with five rookies in that defensive backfield across the board. So that was an issue. The only other veteran player in the defensive backfield really is the, is the Sam linebacker, Luchas Pierrefoy. Uh, the other veteran who's, who's been added is receiver um, uh, Manny Arsenal, who is going to play tonight, also injured in that game uh, in Vancouver. So he'll add a, a presence as well. Not just a, a veteran presence, but he's a pretty dependable receiver. And uh, he's a very vocal guy and I think will be a, a big help. Also, a real good blocker with a big body who's willing to do that job. What has your read been on Trey Ford since he's received the nod to start? I think, what was it, last week that Chris Jones hinted that it was going to happen? Yeah, they, they said that at the news conference, I guess just over a week ago, they said they were making a change. And originally they, they kind of uh, phrased it that there'd be a little bit of a quarterback competition uh, going into the into the first week of practice, and that both Trey Ford and Jared Dagey would split the reps, the first team reps, and then they'd make a decision on who started. That was not the case on Friday of that week when they went back to work, though, for their first practice since the bye week. Uh, and Chris Jones came out and said Trey Ford's going to get the call and he's going to get the start, and then they'll give him the opportunity. Uh, the other two guys have had their chances, as Jones said, so it's time for Trey Ford to get the chance. He's a very confident man, and he's been – uh, he's got a bit of a swagger, and he has showed that at practice this week. He's been he's been connecting passes. He's got a good week of practice by all reports, and and I think just his his attitude, his swagger, and the way he plays the game with his great athletic running ability, I think it's added a little bit of a buzz to the offensive players. I think they're excited to go to the next step and see what Trey Ford can do to help this offense get untracked. Well, and I think it's only human nature that if you're an offensive player and you're watching Taylor Cornelius go out there week after week after week and just not have it, you're probably just excited to have something fresh out there. Yeah, I think everybody everybody knew there had to be some sort of change offensively, and, and, and we saw it. I think you're right. Change is as good as a rest sometimes. Well, the Elks get both here. Uh, they get the change. They also are coming off the bye week, so they got a, a lot of things going in their favor to try and turn things around. The only negative is they're playing a really good team in the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Well, yeah, a team that's coming off an emphatic performance, one of the more dominant performances we've seen of the season, given that BC came in with a lot of smoke going their way. But for Trey Ford, looking back to last year's rookie season, kind of sporadic in and out, was hurt a decent amount. Passing numbers weren't all that great. Running numbers were good. What are you expecting from him in his first start of 2023? I think he'll be a better quarterback than we saw last year. I think he's had, uh, you know, that start uh, in Hamilton, his first start last year. Don't forget, he was he was just uh, four games into his CFL career as a rookie, and he hadn't played much the two previous years because of, of COVID and, and the situation that cut the schedule, eliminated the schedule and cut the schedule down for his last two years of, uh, of college football. So uh, he hadn't played a lot. But now he's got a year under his belt. He's practiced, you know, for a year and a half now as a professional player. I think he's learned to read defenses better. I think he's learned to 
to be a better quarterback, not just a guy who gets the ball and runs with it. And I think that's where we're going to see a difference in him. Uh, he got last year, he had three starts. He had a win early in Hamilton. The defense, a big part of that win is they stole the ball late in the fourth quarter uh, and had a scoop and score to, to provide the winning points. Uh, the next week he started against Calgary, had some pretty good success in the first quarter, but then got injured and went on the six game injured list. And we never saw him for a long time after that. Then he started the final game of the season. And I dare I say with the team the Elks had last year, the final game of the season, more guys were just looking at uh, what time their flights were the next day to go home than, than worried about the football game. So I think that uh, I think that he'll be a, he'll have a better support cast around him this time. Uh, he'll be a little bit more prepared for it. And uh, he's a better quarterback than he was last year when he got his first start. But how does this fully healthy now Blue Bomber defense match up against Edmonton? Because it seems to me like it's not maybe going to be the most fun day for Trey Ford. Yeah, it, it has the potential for that. When you look at the D line of, of the Bombers and, and the O line for the Elks has not played great. Uh, and they've spent some time working on that. But, uh, yeah, for sure, the Bombers' defensive line is so strong. They've been together for so long. They play so well together that they cause problems for every defense. So I, I think what what the Elks are kind of banking on a little bit is the mobility of Trey Ford to cause some problems, that he'll be able to to spin away from trouble and maybe uh, outrun Jake Thomas and, and out, outrun uh, Willie Jefferson and, and be able to, to get free and either carry the ball himself or be able to get free and look downfield to make a throw. Well, defensively, let's talk about this because obviously Chris Jones' defenses have always been his strength, right? He's not known as an offensive guru, as we've seen over the last number of years and how he's he's handled Taylor Cornelius. But you look at the defense, it did a really good job against Winnipeg in their meeting a few weeks ago. It took a while for the Bombers to really get anything going in that game. And if Edmonton had any kind of offense, probably could have won that game. But what do you think about how that matchup looks against the Bombers team that put up 50 points on the Lions last week? Yeah, well, they held them to six points through the first half of that game a couple of weeks back in Winnipeg. Uh, they've been they've, they've held teams in, down in points through the first half of a lot of games this year. They've been they've been tied. I think it was like 11 each, uh, six each. Uh, I think it was a 14 all tie as well in one of those games. So they've kept the scores down to a certain extent through the first half. But what this defense has has done is just run out of the gas a lot because they've been on the field so much because the offense has thrown up too many two and outs and the defense just gets uh, sits down on the bench to to get a rest and they got to go back out there again. And I think uh, they haven't got much help from the offense. And if the offense can sustain a few drives, stay on the field a little bit longer, allow the defense to stay fresher, they'll be able to maybe carry some success from the first half that they've had in a lot of their games over into the second half. Third quarter has been a disaster for the Elks all season. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they're just they're just incredibly bad numbers as far as points for and points against in the third quarter this year. And that's what they've got to get to. Uh, the goal is to keep it as close as they can and then survive the third quarter and, and, and see what they can do in the fourth quarter as well. Well, before I let you go, you being in Edmonton, can you believe it's been 35 years since Wayne Gretzky got traded? Yeah, we were talking about that this morning on our on our morning show, and we're talking about there's probably only uh, two events that happened in Edmonton that everybody knows where they were when it happened and when they when they heard the news. And that would be uh, uh, the Black Friday, which was the tornado that hit hit Edmonton in uh, I think it was eighty. I think and uh, then it was the the trading of Wayne Gretzky which was the next summer uh, in uh, in 1988 uh, everybody knows we kind of put it out there today and everybody 
everybody texts into us saying, yeah, I was here, I was there, I was doing that. Everybody seems to know exactly where they were when it happened. And it was such an impactful moment in not just Edmonton sports history, but I think Edmonton history uh, that everybody remembers it. And it's, yeah, it's 35 years, man. That's a, that's a long time ago, but uh, it's still a pretty hot topic today when we were talking about it. Where were you on August 9th, 1988? I was actually, uh, I was working in Edmonton, but I was on vacation, and I, I wasn't at the news conference where, uh, where Wayne Gretzky uttered the famous words, I promised mess I wouldn't do this, and, and then broke down crying. I was actually, I was in uh, the coach's office at the Communiplex in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, visiting with Rick Wilson, the coach and general manager of the team, and we ended up watching uh, uh, the, 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 the news conference on television uh, in his office and, and seeing it there. That's where I was watching it, and uh, it, it was just a, a, a shock. Everybody was just shocked, even even as you know, I'm in Saskatchewan, and people there are still were still you know having trouble understanding why it happened and, and how it happened, just like the people in Edmonton were. Incredible. You weren't even alive. No, probably, right? I no, I wasn't. I was, I was, I was a few four years away from from reaching the planet. But I'm curious, just how different a, an event like that happens in sports, where there's no leaks on Twitter, there's no constant all the insiders we have now in sports that are just constantly tweeting out yeah. and reporting things. This really just came out of absolutely nowhere, right? Yeah, I, I was actually watching part of a documentary this morning, and uh, uh, my longtime partner doing Oilers games, Rod Phillips, was uh, was doing games at that point. Said he got a call at seven o'clock uh, in the morning from the radio station saying that uh, he had uh, they had heard some rumors coming out of Toronto that Wayne Gretzky was going to be traded, and that's when he started to make some phone calls and and trying to track it down, and could never get any confirmation on it until later. But uh, not only leading up to it, uh, Christian, but afterwards, I can't imagine what it would have been like with with social media and all that uh, in the days afterwards because there were reporters chasing players around Edmonton trying to get comments on from them on the trade and uh, it was just it was just bedlam at you know for about a week after the trade was made and and everybody was trying to figure out what happened i i can't imagine what it would have been like if there would have been social media and that uh, that immediate reaction with maybe possibly players tweeting it out or fans saying i saw I saw this guy here, and he told me this and everything. So uh, it would have been it would have been unbelievable uh, uh, if if there was social media and people were getting involved, you know, immediately like they do now in trades. I'm guessing the reaction in Winnipeg would have been, oh, oh, this is okay because Wayne yeah, Gretzky had just terrorized yeah. the Oilers, and in the end, it, you know, the Oilers still had the the Jets number in the years to come. But in Edmonton, was Peter Pocklington just everyone hated him after this trade? Yeah, it was. Uh, he was. He was victim. Uh, he was. You know. He was. He was the guy who who everyone blamed. He was the guy uh, vilified for this. He was the guy who. Uh, he, no one ever said he traded Wayne Gretzky. It was always he sold Wayne Gretzky, right? Because he got a pile of money from Bruce McNall for for making the deal. Yeah, and, and I don't think his reputation ever really was was uh, was fixed in Edmonton to this day. I think people still hold him responsible, even though more stories have come out that, that Gretzky could have stopped it or Glenn Sather could have stopped it. It's still everyone in Edmonton says that ah, this is Peter Pockington's fault. He's the guy who engineered this. He's the guy who, who went to Bruce McDowell and said, what will you give me for Wayne Gretzky? So, yeah, he's uh, it's it's uh, you know, it led to, you know, actually at one point somebody breaking into his house. Uh, right. And and I believe he took his wife hostage. And it was uh, yeah, it was this was this was not uh, right around that time. It was a little bit later. So, yeah, he was uh, he was a guy that nobody really liked at Edmonton after a while. He kind of went underground after that and didn't really 
didn't really uh, you didn't really see him at Oiler games very much. You didn't really see him around town very much. Uh, and uh, you know, then he moved away. And after he sold the team, uh, we never really heard from him much. And then they won the cup two years later. So <laughs> it ended yeah. up turning out okay for Edmonton. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, and as far as the Jets go, I mean, uh, fans in, in Winnipeg were probably happy about it. They wanted him traded. The only thing wrong, he wasn't traded to the Eastern Conference, right? right? Because he still, he still was going to come into Winnipeg and, and play with the LA Kings an awful lot. But yeah, he, 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 uh, he, that Alberta team, uh, the only thing wrong, the only thing that Winnipeg did wrong during those years in the 80s was playing the Smite Division, where uh, Edmonton and Calgary were the best two teams in the, le- in the league, and Winnipeg could never get by them and, and into the next round of the playoffs because they had to play such great teams from Alberta in the first couple of rounds all the time. Yeah, and I'm sure our listeners right now are saying, yeah, we know, we remember, you don't have to tell us again. <laughs> uh, Morley, appreciate your time as always. Thanks for this. Have fun on the call tomorrow night. Uh, thanks, Christian. Appreciate it. Morley Scott, Voice of the Elks on 6.30 Ched. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all that they should. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you Share our intellect, which might explain your disrespect for all the natural ones and